Good morning. And by that, I mean good morning. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> With such a lonely... Oh, I got a woo over here. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, we are continuing our commitment series this morning, and I'm going to be sharing with you about the commitment of shared life. Um, I, there's a slide here, our first slide, is Bloom's description of shared life. The reality of God with us creates a people who share life together as a foretaste of what God intends for the whole world. We are committed to the joy and discipline of a shared life together, refusing our culture's obsession with individuality, ever opening our lives and hearts to each other in fresh ways. This means we are committed to serving each other, forgiving one another, and living life in community. That is quite the commitment. <laughs> so I want to spend just a little time this morning highlighting some of the phrases in that beautiful description of shared life. So part of my story, the reality of God with us. This is the first little bit. It's like someone's, hello. Oh, nice. Of course they are. That's all right. <laughs> of course they are. I will not be deterred. I will speak on shared life this morning. Thank you, Claire. Um, so I want to take first, the reality of God with us creates a people who share life together. Um, I want to share with you part of why we chose church. Uh, part of my story is that my family and I belonged to a small, very close church community for 12 years. My girls grew up in that church, and we really did share life together. In 2018, that church closed in ways that were very traumatizing and caused my family a lot of grief and loss. We then floundered around for a very long time, trying to find a church family. Then, lo and behold, a pandemic hit. And for us, one of the good things about that pandemic is that we did not have to go to church anymore. It was during this time we started watching Bloom online, and throughout COVID, our Sunday ritual was watching Bloom with coffee and cocoa and coloring books in our pajamas, and it was wonderful. <laughs> um, the restrictions lifted, and people started meeting again, and we continued to watch Bloom Online in our pajamas with our coffee and cocoa, doing our little coloring books. It worked so well for us, and we weren't really sure that we wanted anything to change. So Justin and I decided we needed to have a conversation especially for our girls, if we were going to go back to church, be in community again, or if we were going to just continue this really easy, what felt like good way of doing church as a family. So I wanted to know why. Why, after all that we had been through, would we ever go back to church again? There were two reasons that we decided to return. The first was the table. We needed the tangible weekly reminder, and to be a part of the Eucharist in the flesh was something we knew was missing and important for our faith. The other reason, and really for me, the bright shining reason, was community. Even 
with the grief that I had, had experienced, the betrayal and loss, I still knew something there was sweet, there that was sweet, good, hard, and challenging that I needed in my life, and that was community. Now listen, we had people, we had friends, we are very close to our neighbors, but we needed to be in regular rhythms with other people committed to the good news of Jesus because Christianity is not a purely intellectual, internal, individualized faith. It is meant to be practiced in community. Jesus shared his life, and he taught us the importance of encounter and relationship. You can see it how he grieved Lazarus. You can see it in his interactions with women, those sweet, beautiful interactions. You can see it that he asked his disciples to be near him in the garden. He wanted them them there with him. Shared life matters, and that is why we returned, and that is why I'm here. Shared life refuses our culture's obsession with individuality. It's important to gather here, to look at each other's faces, to see the table set in the center, and be reminded of a larger story unfolding. I can so easily get caught up in my own story, my own very important little world, and sharing life gives me the grace-filled opportunity to look outside of myself and see others. Barbara Brown Taylor, in her wonderful book, An Altar in the World, says, even the monks who lived all alone came together to celebrate communion, to share a common meal, and discuss problems. Even if they lived 32 miles apart, they remained in community. They needed one another, and they knew it. This was not simply a matter of physical need. The deeper reason they needed one another was to save them from the temptation of believing in their own self-sufficiency. Save them from the temptation of believing in their own self-sufficiency. Our culture, our phones, our lives are inclined to lead us toward self-centeredness, self-sufficiency, and isolation. Yes, I've practiced those lines together so many times. (laughs) Man, that was, I did it. Um, Being here, sharing life together, gives us a weekly practice of lifting our gaze from the inward to the outwards of seeing others upwards to Christ. Shared life commits to the joy and discipline of a shared life together, ever opening our lives and hearts to each other in fresh ways, serving each other, forgiving one another, and living life in community. So when I read that first description of shared life, I was like, oh, that is beautiful. And wow, does that sound really messy. A couple of things I've learned over many years of sharing life in church is to let go of my expectations and control and to trust God because it won't always go the way that I was hoping. And I will be disappointed and it will be messy. I know it might be shocking to some of you, especially over here in this section. But not everybody loves to be around me. I know, thank you, thank you, Kelsey. Shocked look over there. What? 
Yeah, thanks. That was great. You nailed it. Um, I am, I'm a very emotional person. I am highly, highly sensitive. Um, I'm, maybe some people could say, overly in touch with my feelings. Um, I'm also quite, de- quite demonstrative in like all the, like I do things like this, like this. Thank you. I am, yeah. So some people find this annoying. I prefer the word delightful. Just saying. Um, 15-ish years ago, uh, we were in this small group. Oh, we just, we had little, little kids. Everyone was in the same season. We all really liked each other. It was so life-giving during that time, just what I needed. And then this new couple showed up. How dare they? And she really didn't like me. And she was obviously uncomfortable around me, which then made me uncomfortable around her. And I acted really weird when I was around her. I was like, why did I say that? Why did I make that gesture? Am I just gesturing because I know she doesn't like my gestures? Why am I doing karate? Things like that. It was like a train wreck. And it was so hard. And... I did, and she liked to be contrary, like she just liked to, it felt like picking fights with me, and I didn't handle conflict well. I have two teenage girls, so I handle conflict so much better now. (laughs) I can do conflict. I couldn't then. Um, I knew what I needed to do, and that was to ask Justin to join me in praying that this couple would leave. (laughs) So... So that was step number one. Step number two, option number two, was to leave the group. So uh, those, those were the options. So I talked to my best friend about it. I called her up and just laid it on her, and she said, um, oh, I have someone just like that at church. It's rough. It reminds me of iron sharpening iron because that's the way it feels. I wonder if you will allow this relationship to soften your sharp edges. I wonder if you will allow this relationship to soften your sharp edges. So first, what an annoying thing to say. (laughs) But also, she was so right. And boy, did that feel like a different posture going into that relationship. So we stayed in that group. And there was still good there. There was loss for me as the dynamic changed, but it is possible that continuing in that group and allowing my sharp edges to soften was more formative than the easy fun time before. Shared life has taught me to let go, to love others well, to trust in a larger story, and to be more like Jesus, even when, or maybe especially when, it is not how I imagined or hoped it would go. Could you be open to shared life softening, softening your edges? This next slide is the second part of Bloom's description of shared life. I believe the commitment, do we have that? Nope. Okay, I will just read it to you. Hear these words. The commitment to a shared life is not, therefore, peripheral to the main work of being the church. So the commitment to a shared life is not peripheral. It is not on the side 
to the main work of being the church. In many ways, it is the main work. Shared life is the main work of being the church. Our living a rich, shared life with each other is how the good news of God's reconciling work is put on display. Shared life means we get to actively be the church. Here and now, in this moment, on display for the world to see. I would encourage you this week to read 1 Corinthians 12. It speaks so well about the many parts of all this, of this body and that all are needed, and it says all the parts care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So I'm sure many of you are familiar with this one body, many parts. That chapter leads right into, like, right into the 1 Corinthians 13, big love chapter. So that's an interesting thing to think about. So read them both, 12 and 13, together. Shared life is sharing the joys and sorrows. It's bearing one another's burdens. And I will tell you that there is a lot that is hard and heavy happening in our community right now. And there are tangible, real ways here to care for each other. And if you are struggling, we want to help carry the load. As we do this, share life in this crazy way, people start to take notice. They're drawn into this, this doesn't make any sense, kind of living. They see the love of Christ being lived out in real ways, and that's what people are searching for these days. Christ being lived out in real, honest, authentic ways. And hopefully our sharing of life together gives us personally the encouragement and the energy that we need to go out into our homes, our neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, and be the light in our broken world. Earlier this week, Claire shared with me um, this lovely piece by Franciscan scholar Elia Delio. She writes, I think our greatest fear is our deepest desire to love and to be loved. We long to be for one another and to give ourselves nobly to another, but we fear the cost of love. We long for oneness, but we fear the demands of unity. Sometimes I think we choose to be alone because it is safe. To be comfortable in our isolation is our greatest poverty. You are worthy of being loved and being known. We have a staff of pastors here whose desire it is to know you. I would love to buy you coffee, to hear your story, to talk about shared life with you. That is why I'm here. If you don't know where to begin, please come talk to me, anyone on staff here or serving. Talk to them about shared life. And I invite you to start practicing shared life and talk about it in circles, in house churches, family dinners. Let's have these conversations. Let's, let's be for one another in shared life. And practice this. Say hello to somebody. Introduce yourself. Join a group. Schedule the date. Come to church. In closing, I want you to please hear this. 
your presence, your being here on Sunday, it matters. These rhythms are meant to be consistent. We need them to be steady. We need the discipline and the constants of them weekly to be reminded to do share life, to shared life together well. And all you here today, it matters. It matters to me that you are here. I'm so thankful to see all of you. And it matters to those who set the table, who lead this service. It matters to those showing up early and volunteering. I can say from both experience and from loss is that it matters to these kids. It matters to them running around, bumping into you. Your presence here matters. It matters for the one who is lonely, for the one who hasn't been embraced or really seen or spoken to kindly all week. Your presence here, sharing life here, it is sacred. Don't underestimate it. A commitment is defined as being dedicated to something. I love that. Being dedicated. I invite you to dedicate yourself to the joy and discipline of shared life and commit to being here in this sacred space on Sundays, not as a requirement, but as a dedication to sharing your life with us. We would love that so much. Yeah, it's messy. It requires courage, but it's also holy. And in sharing life here, you will find something that all our hearts long for. Beauty, sacrament, and restoration. Let's spend just a couple of minutes sitting with an invitation to shared life and opening ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit. When we call us into a spiritual practice in awareness, the reality in the unseen is that we already have been made to share life by the Spirit, that we are one. That's reality. And the invitation that we have been given is to step into that reality, the whole of ourselves, our bodies, our time minds step into the reality that already is. So it's not that we're working to create something out of nothing. It's already been done for us in Christ by the Spirit of God. And all it takes for us to be everything that Amy was describing is to step into it.
everything that God's already done. So it's a gracious invitation, full of empowerment from the Spirit. It's there for you. It's there for all of us to step into. So as we do that, we open our eyes, minds, our hearts, the reality of shared life now, the coming days. May it transform us. And may we be aware of those throughout, well, I was going to say space, but time and space, but meaning throughout the earth, with whom we share life through Christ and the Spirit. Many of those people who are facing massive hardship, there's flooding, there's war, there's been natural disasters. I mean, there's a lot going on. And we share life with those around the world who are carrying these hardships. So when we pray for the world, that's what we're doing. We're entering into their pain supernaturally in the spirit. We're interceding on their behalf. We're giving ourselves up to the desire within us to pray for those with whom we share life supernaturally. Entering that prayer of Christ, that we would live into the reality that we are one with each other, with the Spirit. Jesus Christ and the Father are one.